Thank you, brothers, all of you that went before me. Let's open our Bibles to Nehemiah. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm sorely tempted to go to Nehemiah chapter 8, but let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. I do encourage you again that if you would like to read an inspired account of a true preaching service from all angles, from the angles of those preaching and those hearing, that Nehemiah chapter 8 is a wonderful place indeed. 1 Peter chapter 2, we can quote from Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 8. So they read in the book, in the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. That is preaching. Preaching is not telling stories. I went to a university where, as part of ministerial training, you were supposed to buy some of these books of illustrations. You know, McKnight's 10,000 sermon illustrations. Who in the world ever dreamed up that idea of telling all these little campfire stories that Girl Scouts and Brownies use in order to put that in a pulpit? The pulpit is to be used to preach the Word. Amen. That's what it says in 2 Timothy 4, 2. Preach the Word. And so they read in the book and the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. That is preaching. That is expository preaching. Reading the Word of God giving the sense of the words found there and causing hearers to understand what the Word of God said. Study to show thyself rightly approved. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-3. through One sentence is all I have for you this morning, and it has been one sentence that has blessed me very much leading up to this moment. Every word is pregnant with meaning and power and blessing if we will consider them, and we shall consider them right now by God's grace. I read to you the one sentence opening 1 Peter chapter 2. Wherefore, laying aside all malice, and all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speakings. As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious." Amen and amen. Have you tasted that the Lord is gracious? Do you meet the description? It's not a condition and it's not doubtful in verse 3. But have you tasted that the Lord is gracious? Has He been gracious to you? Has He been gracious this morning to you? If so, then you ought to desire the sincere milk of the Word in order for you to grow up into a more pleasing person to Him. And in order to do that, you have to lay aside five vices that violate brotherly love in the first verse. And that I shall teach you. We can look into the second verse and we can see that ye may grow thereby. We want to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We should want to grow because of the third verse saying that those who have tasted that the Lord is gracious will want to grow. And we, sh- we know how to grow because it tells us to desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. But in order to grow, in order for the word of God to be fruitful in our lives, we need to lay aside five vices of brotherly love that are in verse 1. So we can study these three verses forward. One verses 1, then 2, then 3. We can study them backward. Verse 3, then 2, then 1 because I just showed you how that works very effectively, or we can study it from the inside out, starting in verse 2 with growing thereby, based on the motivation of God being gracious to us, and us getting rid of vices of brotherly love. There is so much here, but the word wherefore connects chapter 1 to chapter 2 and tells us that some conclusions are being drawn from what was last said in chapter 1. Wherefore, I've taught you that before, along with the word therefore, 
These words are logical words. They're drawing conclusions from inferences that have been made. We ask questions. When we see the word therefore in the Bible, we ask what is therefore therefore. Because it's drawing a conclusion. When we see a wherefore, wherefore is wherefore here. Because it's drawing a conclusion. There's two things that the wherefore is connecting. First of all, it is connecting the word of the Lord that endures forever in verse 25, which is the word by the gospel preached unto you. It is describing the revelatory word of God, the preached word of God, or the written word of God in our case. See, in Peter's day, they didn't have all the written word of God at all times. They had a lot of God's revelation made by preaching by inspired apostles and prophets. We have them in writing. So we have the written word of God. We know that the wherefore is connecting us to that word of the Lord because in verse 2 it says, Desire the sincere milk of the word. So we can see that connection right there between 25 and verse 2 because they're both talking about the word and because of the word wherefore that opens up verse 1. Remember that the Bible was not written with chapters or verses. The chapters are only about 500 years old and the verses are only about 350 or 400 years old or so. These are recent additions to help us understand. Sometimes they, well, they certainly help us find verses. Because each verse has an address. A unique address. But sometimes they distract us by taking away the context. Because we think that there's this great big gap between chapter 1 and 2. Because in my Bible there's this great big gap. And there's these big capital letters, chapter 2. And then there's a little chapter summary and so forth. But remember... It all runs together because it was written that way and we want to see it that way. Though we are thankful that God in His providence has given us a very efficient Bible to find anything we need to find. Wherefore, first connection is the word of the Lord in verse 25 with the word of the Lord in verse 2 of the second chapter. The second connection is His last exhortation to these believers was to grow in brotherly love. Verse 22 says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. So that 22nd verse, which is only four verses removed, the wherefore is drawing from that as well. Because though Peter commended their brotherly love, he is exhorting them to more of it. And here's how we know it. Because the sins that are listed in verse 1. They all pertain to brotherly love. Why isn't there any mention of witchcraft? Why isn't there any mention of drunkenness? Why isn't there any mention of seditions? Heresies? Sorcery? And other sins that make it into other lists in the Bible. Because of the wherefore is telling us this first verse is connected to what has gone before And so, in verses 1 through 3, we need to get rid of five vices of brotherly love in order to rightly desire the sincere milk of the Word to grow by it. Because though we might desire it, if we have violations of brotherly love in our lives, God's not going to bless us to grow thereby. And we should do both of these things because the Lord has indeed been gracious to us. All of these words of explanation are to help you from a large standpoint, and we're going about to dive into the individual words, like we just have with the word wherefore, understand this sentence. My job is to read in the book, in the law of God distinctly, and give the sense and cause you to understand the reading. I hope that right now I'm helping you get your mental arms around this verse to where you can squeeze every bit of goodness out of it. And embrace it. I hope you see the connection of the three verses in one sentence. That the motivation is in verse 3. The exhortation of the the thing necessary to grow is in verse 2. And what we've got to get rid of in our lives in order to grow is in verse 1. And it's connected to what went before it by the word wherefore that opens up verse 1. Laying aside. Now the Lord Jesus Christ... When he had gathered in John chapter 13 with his apostles for the Passover, he laid aside his garments and took a towel and girding himself, he went and washed their feet. 
Laying aside in the Bible is a description of putting off clothes. And it's used that way by putting off, putting off the old man like it's a garment. You know, like we would take off clothes and lay it aside. We want to get rid of five things out of our lives. They, we were born with them well-fitting. There are five things well-fitting and we want to lay them aside by taking them off and putting them off. Ephesians chapter 4 would say, put off the old man. Colossians chapter 3 would say, put off the old man. We understand the terminology and we want to lay aside these sins. We could go aside and we could go into Hebrews chapter 12, laying aside the weights that uh, hinder us in our Christian race that our brother Stephen just mentioned to us a few moments ago. We could go look at menstrual cloths. In Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 22, and we definitely want to get them quite a ways from us. We want to put those things off and get them away because they are a hindrance to us growing up in Christ to be all that we should be. Laying aside. You know, we might say it today, flush it. If you're upset at somebody in this room right now, flush it. It is a choice. You are harboring wickedness and you have bile bubbling in your liver. Get rid of it. Flush it. Hit the silver lever in order to fulfill what verse 1 is teaching us in the first three words. Laying it aside. Getting rid of it. This is the first imperative verb of the sentence. And the second one is to desire. We want to lay aside these five vices. Because the fruitful value of God's Word is dependent upon us being obedient hearers. If you are sinning in your life, the Bible is going to be boring to you, and the Bible is going to be a closed book to you. Did we hear something about that on Wednesday evening from Isaiah chapter 29, verses 9 through 16, that because of hypocrisy, God was going to do a marvelous work and a wonderful work among the Israelites by taking away the wisdom and understanding and knowledge of their wise men? Because of hypocrisy. Because if our hearts are not right with God, and as we heard from Psalm 24 already this morning, if our heart is not pure, we are not going to stand before Him and He is not going to bless us. If you have an idol of iniquity in your heart, if you have a stumbling block of iniquity in your heart, God is not going to hear you. He's going to close up the Bible to you. He is not going to bless you. He's going to bring judgment on you. It will come as surely as God is on His throne. And so we want to lay aside these things and get rid of them because we must come to God on His terms in order to understand His Word. I have preached to you, to you men, a detailed series of lessons called Bible hermeneutics several years ago. Hermeneutics is the science, though it's not altogether a science, of Bible interpretation. When I did that lesson, and there's a document on our website entitled Understanding the Bible or Understanding the Scriptures. It's 75 pages long, and it gives the rule of Bible interpretation, the rules of Bible interpretation. In the middle of that document, or toward the first part, there is in red writing a warning that before you proceed to the rules of understanding the Bible, you need to meet the ten spiritual qualifications necessary for a man to understand the Bible. It is not altogether a science, or there would simply be rules. It is an art, because without God blessing the individual subjective man, he will not know the Word of God. You give me a man of lesser intelligence and lesser education and fewer rules of hermeneutics, that is walking with God every day, and I'll show you a man that's going to figure out the Word of God before the learned doctor of the Jews comes along. That that has it memorized and knows it in three languages. Mm -hmm. Let me remind you of those qualifications. There's ten of them. Number one, men must be regenerated with spiritual life to understand the Bible. If you're not born again, forget it. Number two, a regenerate man must be illuminated by the Holy Spirit to understand. Ephesians chapter 1. Oh, and all of these ten qualifications have numerous Bible references in that aforementioned short outline on the website. 
A man must fear God to even begin understanding scriptural truth. Can you think of verses like, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A man must delight in the Lord to obtain understanding from God. Delight thyself also in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart when you're opening the pages of Scripture. A man must obey and apply his learning if he's to learn any more. A man must ask in prayer for wisdom to increase his knowledge. A man must seek understanding and knowledge like digging for hid treasure. A man must be able to take reproof, correction, and instruction or God will close the word to him. A man must have godly and noble motives for learning it. A man must use his God-given teacher as much as possible to learn. There's ten qualifications. because, And the reason I give them to you is because we have to approach the Word of God on His terms in order for us to benefit from it, in order for that study to be fruitful, in order for the preaching and hearing in this assembly to be fruitful, and us to grow spiritually. Disobedience or hypocrisy or rebellion against God's commandments will bring blindness. Holding your hand at 1 Peter 2, look at Psalm 119. Psalm 119. 176 verses all about the Bible. Psalm 119. 22 Hebrew letters make up 22 eight-verse sections designated by those Hebrew letters all about the Bible. 176 independent, wonderful little expressions about God's scriptures. Verse 100, I understand more than the ancients. Now that is learning the Bible. I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. Notice, because we keep God's word, God blesses us to understand it. Turn to Daniel chapter 9. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. After Ezekiel, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 13 puts it this way. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us. Yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God that he, we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. Understanding God's truth depends upon turning away from your iniquities, which in 1 Peter 2, 1 is laying aside those particular iniquities. Jesus said in John 7 and verse 17, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. That's a wonderful promise. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. Jesus in Luke chapter 8 and verse 18 said, Take heed therefore how ye hear. Take heed therefore how ye hear. We are coming to God's word on his terms in order to grow by it. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given. And whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. The rich get richer, and the poor get poorer in the kingdom of heaven. When you come to the word of God, if you do not approach it humbly, with the, with the qualifications, some of which I've already mentioned, more of which exist in the Bible, God will take away from you what you think you have in understanding His Word. Right. He doesn't think you understand anything. And He'll take it away. But if you already have an understanding of it and you come to His Word by His terms, He will bless you to understand more. There, That's the parable of the sower. The four kinds of ground. We want to be the good ground, the prepared ground that can hear the Word of God and benefit from it. And so Jesus said, Take heed. Pay attention to yourself. Prepare. Take heed. Be on your guard. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. Back to 1 Peter chapter 2. More, So much more could be said. So much more is said in the outline that will be shortly available. For those that would like to review any of these points, we want to be able to open the Bible and understand it. And so we have got to approach it on His terms. If you have an idol in your heart, Anything in your heart that you're not willing to give up. If you have a stumbling block of iniquity that you keep stumbling over and you don't want to give it up, and you come to a prophet of God, Ezekiel chapter 14, verses 1 through 11 says, God Himself is going to give you an answer. The answer He's going to give you 
is he is going to deceive you by giving you a lie. Because he's going to deceive the prophet that you have gone to listen to. Do you know how many people are going to flock to Houston today with many idols in their hearts and stumbling blocks of iniquity to hear Joel Osteen? God is deceiving Joel and Victoria in the pulpit to deceive all the people in the pew because they want to go to such a TV huckster as those two to try to find God's Word and yet live the way that they have chosen to live in Houston, Texas in the year 2014. If we don't approach God the right way, He'll deceive us. That's what the Bible says, and hardly anyone teaches that kind of a God anymore, but that's the God of the Bible. And that isn't the only place it's mentioned. This is serious business. So we we want to pay close attention. We want to come before God's Word under His terms and by His terms. I hope that you can see the connection that we have made so far because now we need to enter into five vices of brotherly love. We have just had brotherly love laid before us. This is why there's the connection. So when I look at these five sins, and when you look at these five sins, you should see them in their violation of brotherly love. Some of them extend broader than that in the definition of the word alone, but we understand context being more important than just the definition of a word alone. God's word and God's context define words for us. I was having fun with my wife last evening, reminding her that the Bible says, Thou shalt not bring the price of a dog into the house of the Lord. And I have actually communed with a minister in the past, that interpreted that verse to mean that you can never sell a dog. Because it says in Deuteronomy 23, 17, and 18, thou shalt not bring the price of a dog into the house of the Lord. Now, if I was to go by primary definitions, which other ministers that I've communed with have taught me, here I go. Deuteronomy 23, 17, thou shalt not bring the price of a dog. Dog, a four-legged quadruped of the species of Canis. That's what the Oxford English Dictionary says for dog. You know, and if I read down all of its definitions for dog, I don't get the one that's in Deuteronomy 23 because it's not even in the Oxford English Dictionary because the men that made the Oxford English Dictionary, and it is the standard of the English language, were never moved by the Spirit of God to read the Bible. And do you know what a dog is in Deuteronomy 23, 17, and 18? It's one of these gay guys that are running around in America. It's a faggot. It's a sodomite. And it's talking about prostitution by females and dogs for hire, male sodomites for hire, that any transaction involved with them should not be brought into the house of the Lord. You say, where are you going with all that? I want you to understand that when we look at that first verse, 1 Peter 2, 1, we see the word wherefore connecting it to what went before. We see that these five sins are of a particular flavor. These five sins are of a particular nature. These five sins all relate to violations of brotherly love. And I ask you again, do you see witchcraft there? Do you see drunkenness? Do you see seditions? Do you see sorcery? Do you see heresies? You don't see those sins. You see sins that are the violation of brotherly love. And we have the word wherefore tying us back to verse 22 where he, we had that important verse connected to our being born again as children of God that we should love one another with a pure heart fervently. And how do we do that? We get rid of these five vices. And we have to get rid of these five vices before we can grow in the Word of God that was presented to us in verse 25. I want you to tie all this together and see how it's flowing in argumentative, persuasive power by the Holy Spirit because Peter was just a fisherman that when he opened his mouth they all knew that he was an unlearned man but not when he was inspired when he was inspired he oh the eloquence from a fisherman let's look at these five sins if love is the greatest grace if love is the greatest measure brotherly love is what I'm talking about If love is the greatest effect, 
Based on what the Bible teaches us, that brotherly love is the greatest evidence of a child of God, it certainly isn't faith, then what are five vices that are contrary to brotherly love? How much should we hate them? We should lay them aside. As I said, we should flush them. So right now it's a choice to all of you. The Holy Spirit is about to shine a light down upon all of us and into all of us. And if it finds any little scraps or remnants of any of these five, we should flush them today because it's a choice. It's a choice to be transparently innocent and guileless and to love one another and to forgive all offenses and all transgressions and utterly throw them behind our back and never think about them again and to embrace one another in pure, unadulterated, uncompromised love and affection without any grudge or bitterness in our hearts. And so we have this first verse that in order for the Word of God to benefit us, we have to flush five things. First one is malice. Malice, the desire to injure another person, active ill will or hatred, maliciousness, malice. It, you got a bad spirit and a bad heart toward others. Malice is bitterness, grudge, hatred or the wicked desire for harm or revenge to another person. Malice, bitterness. You've got a bitter spirit, bitter thoughts, a grudge, hatred, or the wicked desire for harm or revenge toward another person. Such a spirit is entirely contrary to our religion. Harboring hatred in your heart is a violation of the Sixth Commandment. And the Sixth Commandment is, Thou shalt not kill. Because if you are even angry with your brother without a cause... It is a violation of the Sixth Commandment. Right. And you better have the cause of authority. And you better have a righteous cause in order for it to be a cause that fits Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. If someone has repented of their sins, or if it is something minor and small, and that's all that happens in your life, you should flush it. Right. The worst that anyone can do to you is a hundred pence compared to the 10,000 talents by which we've offended God. Flush it. Pray for the person. Right. Love the person. Get rid of all those thoughts because malice is that, is that stuff in the heart that's like bile bubbling up against a person. We don't want any of that. Can't have any of it. We'll bring God's judgment upon ourselves. Christians are to be loving, merciful, and tender-hearted. Envy and strife in your heart is from the devil, James chapter 3 tells us. Don't deceive yourself that you can justify it because you can't. It's wickedness from the devil. Only men like Cain have it. You show a cruel heart when you hold on to malice. You show a cruelty that is like Cain. He's your brother. You don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary said, Father, forgive them. No one has ever done anything to you even close to what those men did to him. No one has ever stoned you to death or even hurt your fingernail. And yet Stephen would say, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. What a glorious example. No malice. Get rid of malice. Forgive them their hundred pence. It's a simple choice to practice God's love from the inside out. Laying aside how much malice? All malice. Meaning, there is no bitterness, no grudge, no resentment, no ill will at all left. It's flushed. All you have are good thoughts. You know, the Lord knows how hard this is. And so He said in Matthew chapter 5, I do it. He says, I do it when I send my sunshine and my rain on the evil and the good. You can do it. Pray for those that despitefully use you. Bless those that curse you. Do you do that? We must, or we will not progress as the Christians God wants us to be without doing that. Is there anything in your heart toward anyone? Flush it. It's not righteous. It serves no value. You're not pleasing God. There is no virtue in hating someone that has hurt you. That just shows how little you are and how cruel you are. You are wicked. You have the heart of Cain. Be able. Let Cain kill you. Abel makes it to Hebrews 11 getting killed. Abel's blood speaketh better things than anyone else's. And it's described in Hebrews chapter 12. Oh, I want us to get rid of all malice. 
If you do not correct this poison in your soul and brain, you're just like Cain. If you'll not purge this sinful bile from your heart, the Word of God's going to be closed to you, and you could affect the whole church like Achan affected the whole camp of Israel. Brethren, the Bible tells us in the second verse that we should be like babes. We should be infantile. And I want to be an infant in several senses. You know that I want to be an infant when it comes to God's Word because God has hid these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes. But we want to be an infant when it comes to malice because there is a rule about children. They don't hold malice. You can take his little Hot Wheels truck when you're in the sandbox one day and the next day little Joey can't even remember that you took his little Hot Wheels truck the previous day because they don't hold malice. In 1 Corinthians 14.20, the Apostle Paul told the church at Corinth, in understanding, be men. But in malice, be children. And if you don't humble yourselves and become as a little child, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. I don't care how many prayers you make, Bibles you read, and verses you memorize. If you don't humble yourself and become as a little child, because it is pride that causes you to hold on to bitterness or malice against anyone. Because if you would ever think about the fa- of what God has forgiven you, you would forgive everyone anything. Lord, help us. It says all guile. we got to get through these. Lord, please help me. All guile. Guile is insidious cunning, deceit, treachery. Guile. Sneaking around, conspiring to do harm to someone. This is guile related to brotherly love in this particular context. It's deception or fraud or circumventing others to take advantage of them. The Bible mentions in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that defrauding a brother in any matter is contrary to holiness. Flattery or design to hide treachery is to mislead is this sin. What have you ever hid from a brother that you shouldn't have hid? When you haven't fully disclosed what you should have. You know, we hide Christian liberty from one another because the Bible tells us to do so for his godly benefit. Sinners deceive or mislead others to take advantage of them financially, sexually, socially, and so forth. This sin can be as easy as misleading or exaggerating health issues, money issues, dating interest or activities, social or other influence, delaying giving for needs to avoid it because you hope that someone else will do it, only reporting favorable information, referrals, that are not in a person's best interest, guile. Let's be like Nathaniel. John 1.47 Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is, there is no guile. The 144,000 in Revelation chapter 14 being the first fruits of God to the Lord Jesus Christ out of the nation of Israel, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes there. They were known as without guile in the sight of God. We want no guile. We would never, ever be treacherous to deceive or mislead or hide anything from another person that would be in their best interest because we want it all out there. We want to be transparent Christians. Godly men are entirely transparent with nothing harmful ever hid and no evil intentions. Lord, help us. It's better to be naive. And do you know who's saying that to you? I don't like being naive about anything. It's better to be naive, to be gullible, to be innocent, to be honest, to a fault, to be defrauded, than to risk guile. Lord, save us from it. Choose to be on the short end of the stick in any relationship, conversation, or transaction. You'll get ahead faster being on the short end of the stick than trying to rule the stick by whatever means. Because you'll end up being tempted toward guile and hypocrisies. How much guile are you allowed in your life, by the way? What does it say here? It says all guile. Now it's hypocrisies. Hypocrisies. You know, there's lots of different kinds of hypocrisy. But because of the five sins, because of the wherefore, because of verse 22 from chapter 1, we emphasize the hypocrisy that comes with brotherly love because the apostle has just said four verses earlier, unfeigned love. What is feigned love? Hypocritical love. 
So that's why we look at these hypocrisies right here and understand that he is still emphasizing the importance of real, pure, and fervent brotherly love. Hypocrisy is pretending to be something that you are not in fact, whether it's habitual on your part or intentional. Hypocrisies is less malicious than guile in that there is less intentional treachery, treachery to harm, but you just go through the motions. Yeah, I love the brethren. But you don't. Yeah, I want to serve the church. But you don't. That's hypocrisy. You're thinking it. You're saying it. But you don't do anything about it. In 1 John, it's called loving in word and in tongue. Not in deed and in truth. Hypocrisies are not performing where there's been a promise. Not performing where there's been a profession. And all of you have joined this church saying, I know that the church of Greenville is where I am to love and serve, not to be loved and served. So you're never looking for more, except more to give and more to do. Otherwise, you end up being a hypocrite. Solomon would condemn telling a neighbor to come again tomorrow and I'll give when you have it by yourself right now. Not even procrastination is allowed or you end up being a hypocrite in hypocrisies. Hypocrisy is defeated by keeping your heart with all diligence to avoid any sinful thought about anybody. Listen, we want to be like the church in Acts chapter 2 under the influence of the Holy Spirit. They had all things common. Right. If someone has a need, you know, have, you, have we ever heard in this church, my refrigerator is your refrigerator? We should believe that. My wheels are your wheels. My car is your car. We just want to be open that way. And if we think those thoughts, we won't be hypocritical. We always want to perform. And and envies. Let's keep going. Verse 1. Laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies. Envy. The malignant or hostile feeling. Ill will. Malice. Enmity. Specifically, the feeling of mortification. It kills you. It hurts you. The feeling of mortification and ill will occasioned by the contemplation of superior advantages possessed by another. Oh, you mean jealousies. Yes, if you need to simplify it that way, we'll call it jealousy. It's a terrible sin that God rejects from anyone entering heaven. It doesn't matter if you pray well, read well, and memorize well. If you hold on to envy... The Bible tells us in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, you aren't going to make it. It's just the Word of God. It's all I have to preach to you today. If you envy someone else for their advantage, oh, we want to get rid of this sin. The Bible says anger, wrath is cruel, and and anger is heavy, but who can stand before envy? Envy will eat you alive from the inside out because of others' advantages. Joseph's brethren... Why were they envious of Joseph? All they had to do was obey their father a little bit and Jacob would have loved them. There's a reason Jacob didn't love the other ten. They were fools. They should have loved the fact that finally, after Jacob tried so many times with four women, one was born that was a good son. And they should have rejoiced in that. Every birthday they should have sent him a birthday card saying, I'm so thankful to God that God finally gave our father a good son. Love you, Reuben. You know, is that the way you think? That's the way you should think. Joseph is one one of the most wonderful characters in the whole Bible. Why didn't his brothers think so? Because he had a coat of many colors. I never got a coat of many colors. Is there, anyone, is there anybody in here that can even say that inside? Let's, let's be honest with ourselves. Every single one of us are capable of saying that on the inside. That's right. I never got a coat of many colors. Well, you didn't deserve one, you little scumbag. Mm-hmm. What in the world are you talking about? Why are you lusting after the impossible? Listen, you didn't even deserve a coat. He should have sold you to the Midianites 20 years ago. Oh, Lord, help mercy upon us and save us 
from such thinking. Do you remember Rachel about childbirth? Lee is just spitting them out every 12 months. She's having a, getting pregnant again and having another baby. And Rachel comes and grabs a hold of Jacob and says, Give me children, else I die. He said, Who do you think I am in the stead of God? Why couldn't Rachel figure out that Jacob loved her more than he loved Lee? And so God was making up the difference. And because of making up the difference, the two of them were now equal. And she should have been right there. She should have taken midwifery courses at the local technical college so that she could have helped Leah give birth. Saul about David. Listen, if you were a king and you knew that inside you had the heart of a woman and you had a David come along singing Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And he goes out and takes on a nine-foot, nine-inch giant and comes back and salutes and you say who are you son i'm just the son of jesse the bethlehemite doesn't even give his name would you like to have that man in your army then can he play the harp well when he plays the harp for you does the evil spirit from the lord disappear do you feel better so you feel better he fights all your battles for you and he kills all your enemies and you can stay at home and enjoy your palace with your wife and kids what would you do with david promote him Promote him, and then promote him again. Except when I'm in this throne, son, you rule Israel. Only when I'm in this throne. Pharaoh could do that. Right. Uh, is anybody with me? Yeah. Pharaoh could do that. Why couldn't Saul do it? 1 Samuel 18, he knew the Lord had departed from him and was with David. Do you know what I would want if I knew that was the case? I would want to be handcuffed to David, so that when David got down on his knees, I would get down beside him. The last thing I would want to do is grab my javelin and try to kill the man that God is with. Uh, Envy. It kind of messes up a person, doesn't it? Oh, Lord. It's grieving about and resenting others' advantages, their acceptance, their friendship, their freedom, whatever. It's diluting the ability, honor, and successes of others by excusing yourself. Well, the reason I'm not as, the reason I don't make as much money as they do is because my parents didn't put me in private school like his parents put him. Oh, come on. If we would have put you in private school for 40 years, you'd still be making minimum wage. Cut the baloney! That's how the human mind works. Always making up excuses. Envy will ruin you. If your motive in any activity is even 1% out of envy or strife, due to others, you're going to lose all. The cure is easy. The cure is exciting. The cure is pleasant. And the cure is rewarding. Celebrate others' blessings with zeal. From a pure heart. I love it when you guys get promoted on the job. I haven't been able... I haven't been able to be promoted for 30 years. I love it. I live vicariously through you guys. I love the smell of napalm in the morning, even when it's not my napalm and not my village of Charlie that's getting melted. But when the good things happen, and you know, I'm nothing. I'm the most selfish person in the room. I'll admit it. Will you admit that you're second? I'll be first. But I love it when good things happen to you guys. Every raise you get, I want to hear about it. It is not a sin of pride to write the pastor and say, I just got another pop. I got a new title. They've given me a new business card. I'm in a new department. I love every bit of that. I get out of my chair. I punch the air. I thank the Lord. I'm nothing. But I want us all to be that way. There's a reason for 30 years that we open up this pulpit to anyone that wants to get up here and bless the Lord for God's blessings in their lives. Because we all should be excited at God's blessing in anyone's life. I hope that when you're out having a good meal, I mean, it's one of the best meals you've ever had. You know how our minds work. This is one of the best meals I've ever had. And I hope that one of your first thoughts are, I wish my brethren were with me. I wish I could take this table for two and blow it up for a table for 200 Oh, it's it's so much fun to get excited about other people. Does the Bible tell us to uh, rejoice with them that do rejoice? Yes. Yep. Does the Bible say that? Yes. We try to practice that in this church. Can we practice it better? Yes. yes! Can we rejoice with those that are honored? 
Every honor that a church member gets should bless your heart. If you're, if you've already made them and their things and their lives more important than yours, then this comes easy. And Philippians chapter 2 says, look, every man not on his own things, but on the things of others. I'm, that's awesome what happened to you. They came hunting you down and wanted to give you more money for less hours. I like that. That's the math that makes the world go round. Sorry, it was a hard decision. That means the Lord's blessed you two different ways. Brethren, life is good. And when the Lord's good to, to us, let's not envy one another. There's so many verses I could be laying on you right now. Galatians chapter 5, 25 and 26 says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit, not envying one another. Not envying one another. What was Luke 15 written for? Luke 15 is a long chapter. Ten coins, hundred sheep, two brothers. Luke 15, what was it written for? To condemn the spirit of self-righteousness and envy on the part of the older brother who resented his little brother who was the prodigal son getting a celebration. Whose side do you want to be on? Dad's or older brother? I like to celebrate. I like to make great mirth and I like to have a great time. I want to be on dad's side. Mm -hmm. So if anybody wants to be a prodigal, and then repent. If you want to be a prodigal toward me, you know, let's forgive. I'm going to forgive you and let's celebrate. And if you can get a job and get a promotion, I'm going to be so excited that the Lord's had such mercy upon you and it can go on and you can make up all sorts of examples. Let's go to the next vice, evil speakings. All evil speakings. We understand this relative to brotherly love. Every kind of verbal criticism, detraction, harm, or offense about another is condemned. All evil speakings. Unless you are in a, a person in authority and you are called to a witness stand to have to bring up some fact about another person, shut up. Did we have any mommies or elementary school teachers that told us, if you can't say something nice about someone then don't say anything at all. Oh, how did they know the Word of God better than most? That is such a simple rule. What if a group of people like this church only said good things about every other person in public or private, including your vehicles on the way home from church? What a church it would be. All evil speakings. God might open up the book of Revelation and all of its details in its internal chapters to us. Lord, help us to get rid of all evil speakings. You know, women are just as prone to this as men, if not more prone. There's insufficient space to fully define all this. Do you know how much I could preach on every single one of these? Mm -hmm. Using all the Bible references that there are for, for these, because love is the greatest, therefore these vices are dealt with repeatedly. Evil speak. Is there anything against evil speaking in the book of Proverbs? Does it mention backbutting? Does it mention tailbearing? Does it mention whispering? Does it mention slander? Yes, it mentions all those things. Listen to this list of a few just to keep your minds working. Here's a few evil speakings. Backbiting. Debate. Unnecessary debate. Wanting to argue and fuss about some point. Despiteful. Negative criticism of another person. Despisers of those that are good. Evil surmising. Putting the worst construction on someone's life. False accusations that you don't know and haven't proved. Fierce. Simply fierce. You're fierce the way you talk about someone. Gainsaying. Always wanting to outdo. Railing. Name-calling. Reproaching. Disrespecting is what reproaching means. Reviling. Name-calling again. Slander. Sowing discord. Tail-bearing. Whispering. I don't care if you know something about someone else. To talk about it, to ever let it come out of your mouth, unless you are in a position of authority or called to be a witness in a court of law or before Almighty God, shut up! To even say the truth about someone is tail-bearing, whispering, and backbiting. Right. 
to say something that isn't true about someone is false accusations and slander. We don't do it. It doesn't matter if you know something about someone. Let's only mention the good things. Who is the greatest example of it in the Bible? David with Saul. And that wonderful eulogy in 2 Samuel chapter 1. Wonderful eulogy. Only remembering the good things of one of the most profane, wicked, murderous men that had tried to kill him. He was the object of all of Saul's efforts. But he blessed him and praised him and only brought up all the good things and sang a song about him and Jonathan. And there isn't really any distinction between Jonathan and Saul. And you know, David loved Jonathan as his own soul. Right. But that's how we want to talk about others. Okay, a little note before we pass on. So much more could be said. And I'm in such serious trouble with the clock. Oh, you know, we, we can't... Evil speakings. If you call your brother a fool without a justifiable scriptural holy cause... You have violated the sixth commandment and you are in danger of hellfire. Get a load of that. For your information, your names and word calling mostly hurt you with both God and men. You know, I learned in about the second grade, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. What are you doing that for? Where does the bile come from in you that would cause you to say or think in this case, say because it's evil speaking about someone else. You're violating the sixth commandment. There's such wonderful examples. Jesus on the cross forgiving his murderers. Stephen forgiving his murderers. Oh Lord, we thank you for the examples that we have in the Bible. You know, we live in a day now where you don't talk that much. You, you do this. So make sure everything that you're doing this is not evil speakings. You're not spreading anything about anyone else. Oh, do you know who, what so-and-so just did? There you are, backbiting, tail-bearing, and whispering with your thumb. You know, you do it by emails, you do it by texting, you do it by Twittering. Nowadays, you know, as soon as anybody finds anything, they want to video it, and then they want to Twitter it. Let's tweet like little birdies, because they got bird brains. The Bible hates all that junk. This social media stuff. Measure yourself on the scale scale of infantility of how much of an infant you are because you're obsessed by that stinking social media. You probably haven't said a thing on it in the last month that's worth being said. Measure every single bit of it because this text condemns all evil speakings. Here's a note for those that like to really dive in. Why in the world do I have all attached to three of those sins and no all to two of them? Do you worry about things like that? Your pastor worries about things like that and begs God for mercy. But if you look at it long enough and you look at it carefully enough, and yes, I'm going to help you right now, the first all is that a singular or a plural that it's attached to because the word malice Is it a singular word? Yes, it's a word that isn't, you don't have malices. I mean, you could do it, but it's just uncomfortable and, so you've got all. All malice. Because Peter isn't gonna let you get through this sea, this sieve of 1 Peter 2-1. So it's all malice. Now when it's envies, because he uses the plural, he doesn't use the word all. He just says envy, so he, you know he's got you. All envy, because it's envies. And hypocrisies is plural, so there's no all. But guile is a singular word, so it's got an all. And evil speak, watch this, evil speaking, which when the Apostle Paul would use it in Ephesians 4.31, did not use the word all and used the singular, evil speaking. But Peter, in order to get your attention and really do this to you, He used all evil speakings, the plural, with the all attached to it. He is trying to get your attention that all this stuff is wrong. Verse 2, as newborn babes. You know what? That's referring to infants. Infants, you think about the frequency of their feeding, the intensity of their desire to feed, and the quantity of milk that they want, and why they want it. Because they have inside of them a mechanism that is demanding maximum growth. 
And that mechanism inside of them, given to them by God, demanding maximum growth, makes them go only a few hours before they let you know it in high decibels that they want to be fed right now. And they know how to do it as soon as they are born. How many lessons do you have to give them to nurse? Just get them near the big warm milk bags and they take over. I mean, they know what to do. And so Peter, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, as newborn babes or as infants, we should be like them. This is a simile because of that word as. You should be like an infant. How Once they feed, are they, are they content for a few days? Every woman in here knows the answer to that question. Oh, I'm so sorry for you in the early, in the early weeks and months. They need to be fed again immediately. A few hours later, two, two, three, four, five hours later, they're going for it with all their might. And boy, they latch on to it. I mean, how many of you, they know how to nurse and they nurse hard. How many of you in this last week showing your desire for the Word of God, using a metaphor, tried to suck a baseball through a garden hose? That's what babies do. They think they can suck a baseball through a garden hose. How many of you showed that toward the Word of God? Did I? Lord, help us. As newborn babes, we want to be like infants. The frequency, they just want it over and over. And the intensity of their desire, the way they scream and cry for it, we should be screaming and crying to God, Lord, help me today. Open Thy Word that I may behold wondrous things out of Thy law. The instinctive demand for milk is to grow. And our desire for milk is to grow as well. Desire is an imperative verb. Notice that comma. Our commas inspired. Of course they are. As newborn babes. After that babes comes that comma. Because sometimes commas are necessary for you to understand what that word desire is. It's not as newborn babes desire. The desire is not a verb of the babe. The desire is an imperative verb for you and for me. As newborn babes, and it's implied that they desire milk, so we should desire the sincere milk of the Word. Because of time, you're going to have to take it like this from here on. As newborn babes, desire. That is an imperative verb telling us what we need to do. We should be desiring the milk of God's Word. When it says the milk of God's Word, it is not talking about the elementary or rudimentary things, because that would contradict... The Apostle Paul in Hebrews chapter 5 that says you shouldn't be playing around with milk. You should be eating meat. The reason that milk is used here is not to make a comparison between milk and meat, but because a metaphor and a simile about babies is being followed. So it's using milk because babies don't eat meat yet. And we're just born again in verse 23 of chapter 1. And so we need the milk of God's Word. But it's not the milk compared to the meat. It's not even the milk of God's Word, really. It's as babies desire milk. We should desire the milk of Scripture. And it's called the sincere milk of the Word because the word sincere means unadulterated and pure without compromise and no impure matter in it, meaning that we want the doctrine of, we want the apostolic doctrine of Holy Scripture. We do not want the fables and entertainment of men. We want exactly what God gave us in the Word of God. That is the sincere milk of the Word. The word sincere that you think is having an honest, an honest man with integrity. No, that is not what sincere means. Sincere means not falsified or perverted in any way. Of doctrine, it means genuine and pure. We want the pure doctrine of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing else will satisfy us. As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the Word and the Word is the written Word of God that we may grow thereby. And that Word of God is preached to us. What kind of growth is good? We want to grow thereby. It's a shame that most churches can only comprehend growth in numbers, in size, or in their facilities. That is sick. That is not what is under consideration here or anywhere else in the New Testament. It is a shame. Those with Christian character and intent that value size, numbers, and facilities are misled by the Great Commission because they don't understand it. The rest hardly have a clue about God's grace, about salvation, about the gospel, the church, or real growth. There are those today that only seek the baptism of the Holy Ghost so that they can blather around in tongues. 
There are those that only want to have their best life now. Like the TV huckster Joel Osteen. That isn't the growth. We don't want your best life now. We want your best life when you meet Christ. And the other things are subordinate to that. What does it mean to grow in this second verse? It means to grow in grace, which is to use God's grace to conform your life to be more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. It includes your role in a local church to assist its growth, that we can all grow up together in Him. That is the full measure of Christ. You can sin or neglect God's grace in your life and not grow by it. Many Christians don't grow by it. Paul weeping told the Philippians there were many that were truly the enemies of the cross of Christ because they minded earthly things. We want to desire the sincere milk of the Word and feed on it so that we grow up into a more and more heavenly perspective about our lives. What does it mean to grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? To fully comprehend Him and His great love. Paul wanted to know Christ. He says, I count all things but for dung that I might know Christ. Remember, he prayed for the Ephesians that by the power of the Holy Spirit in their inner man, they might know the full dimensions of Christ's love until they are filled with all the fullness of God. That is the growth that we want. We want quality. We don't want quantity. We'll take the quantity that God sends us, but we want the quality of being more and more like Christ and seeing and knowing and embracing Him more and more that Christ is the end all of our entire lives. Lord, help us to that end. As newborn babe, because, you know, if you were to look ahead at the context, and it's cheating a little bit to read ahead, but you understand how I mean that. If you start reading at verse 4, it's going to all be about the precious Lord Jesus Christ. That's the growth that we're talking about. And how do we get that growth? The preaching of God's Word. Because see, while we got rid of five things that are not part of growing up in grace, those five things are from beneath. They're the wisdom that comes from beneath. It's the wisdom of the devil. And we can't lie against the truth. That's the facts of the matter. But now we want to desire the sincere milk of the Word, the genuine apostolic doctrine of Jesus Christ taught by His apostles, that ye may grow thereby. Because Peter, every apostle, every pastor wants his church to be growing, always getting better. Are you better than you were last year? Are you better than 10 years ago? Are your priorities better than they were a year ago? Do you love the brethren better than a year ago? Is everything better than a year ago? The things that count, what God says counts. Is your hospitality better than a year ago? Is your forgiveness better than a year ago? Are you more transparent and just open and naive and gullible and willing to be defrauded than a year ago? That's progress. That's growth. That's growth in grace. And we want to do that. We never want to stay infants in God's grace who regenerated us into spiritual life. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. That if. Now I sent you recently an email and I showed you from Philippians chapter 2 that the Apostle Paul had four ifs. Four ifs. If, if there's any bowels and mercies. If there's any consolation in Christ. Four. The if is not conditional and the if is not doubtful. The if is certain. Yes, there's consolation in Christ. Yes, there are bowels and mercies. And yes, God is gracious. And yes, these this audience of these Jews had tasted that God is gracious because their faith was very great back in verse 6 in spite of heaviness through manifold temptations. If you've tasted that God is gracious, then you should be wanting to desire the sincere milk of the Word to grow up to Him. He's done so much for you. What are you going to give back to Him? What is your ROI? What is the return on investment? The investment being the precious blood of Christ. Forget precious metals. I'm talking about a real investment. I'm talking about the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ spilt and spent for you. What are you returning to Him? Well, we want to grow through God's Word and we grow through God's Word by desiring it like an infant baby desires its mother's milk so that we can grow thereby to give Him a better return on His investment. And we want to do it because we have indeed tasted that the Lord is gracious. If it's true that God has adopted us, His rebel enemies, we owe Him growth in grace. If it is true that there is an eternal inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, and that fades not away, reserved in heaven for us, we want to give Him a better ROI, a return on His investment in us. Lord, 
It is so true. We know the if is there and the if is certainty because we have indeed tasted from the good word of God that you are indeed gracious toward us. There is no doubt about it. You have forgiven us so many sins. You have promised us so much riches of eternal inheritance in Christ our Lord. We're thankful for all spiritual blessings that are in Him. Oh Lord, You didn't leave it up to us. You did it according to the good purpose of Your own will, so that not a bit of it would lost, be lost. Therefore, it is of, therefore it is by grace that it might be of faith to the promise, to the, to the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. God has done it in such a way to make sure that we get every benefit of the everlasting covenant of grace. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Amen. If He's gracious, then you ought to believe Him. Everything in the Bible. If He's gracious, then you ought to be baptized. If you're not baptized, then you're saying that God isn't gracious to you. We are going to have a second service dedicated to telling Him how gracious He's been to us. Amen. Do you understand the sentence? Starting from the back to the front. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. There's the motive. We have tasted. Have you tasted? Have you individually tasted? Tasted is not just reading about it, not just thinking about it, and it's not some dry concept of doctrine up in your head. It is embracing it and experimentally knowing it that God has personally forgiven you personally of your personal offenses and transgressions against Him. It is tasting of forgiveness. It is tasting of grace. It is, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 34 and verse 8. David knew it in the Old Testament. So there's the motive. Have we tasted that the Lord is good? Gracious? Has He saved us by His grace and promised us enormous eternal blessings? He has. Therefore, we should desire the sincere milk of the Word to grow and give Him what He deserves, and that is children growing up to be more and more like His well-beloved Son, our older brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. More and more like Him. Until God looks upon His family, and instead of looking upon His children, and being disappointed with anyone in this assembly, He sees them all growing more and more like Jesus Christ. I love that church in Greenville. All those children down there, are just looking more and more like my perfect son, Jesus. Right. I love that church down there. And that's what we want to be, not for our praise and glory, for His praise and glory. Amen. So we want to grow. How do we grow? We get crazy about it. We get crazy about the preaching of God's Word. We get crazy about His Word. We get crazy about meditating on His Word like babies. Infants are crazy about their mother's breasts in order to get at that milk supply that causes them to grow. They are, they're doing it subconsciously. We want to do it consciously. Lord, I am not where I could be. I am not where I should be. I want to grow more. Feed me. Glorify thyself through me. Glorify thyself to me. When I open your word, fill me with it. When I come into this assembly, let the preacher's words enter my ears, but go into my heart and fill my mind with spiritual and heavenly things from your word. Give me understanding, Lord, and I shall keep all thy commandments. But in order to do that, we've got to get rid of five violations or vices of brotherly love, and that's in verse 1, and that's how it all works together. We are properly motivated by God's grace in verse 3. We know what we need to do by desiring God's word in verse 2. And before we do that, we got to get rid of anything that hinders brotherly love because it is the greatest grace of a Christian. And therefore, its violations are the greatest enemies of spiritual growth. So we want to get rid of those things. So there's five things in verse 1 that we want to flush. We want to be like infants in verse 2 because God deserves it for what He's done in verse 3. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word and may we celebrate His gracious goodness to us in the second assembly. Amen. Amen.